This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everybody. The Bible may seem like an old and irrelevant book, but we can actually see prophecies which were predicted many, many years ago coming to pass in front of our very eyes. I want to look at just three prophecies to demonstrate how predictions that were made thousands of years ago are coming to pass in 2018, 2019 even. One year out. (laughs) So I want to look at the persecution of the Jews. I want to look briefly at the relationship between Russia and Israel. And I also want us to consider the expression which Jesus used as it was in the days of Noah. So let's start by looking at the persecution of the Jews. I always think the fact that there is a specific word for hatred of the Jews, the expression anti-Semitic, indicates the importance of the fact and how widespread it is. We read about this persecution um, in the book of Deuteronomy, which was written nearly 3,000 years ago. We read in Deuteronomy and chapter 28, Then the Lord will scatter you among all people from one end of the earth to the other, And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Continues, your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and you'll have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening, and in the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart, and because of the sight which your eyes see. Now, we saw a lot of this prophecy being fulfilled in AD 70, when the Roman Empire raised Jerusalem, and again we saw similar persecution in the Second World War with the Holocaust. One of the worst anti-Semitic massacres in the UK took place in the Middle Ages. In York in 1190, the city's entire Jewish community was trapped by an angry mob inside the tower of York Castle. It's the tower where where Clifford's Tower now now stands. That wasn't there at the time, but it's on that mound. Many members of the community chose to commit suicide rather than be murdered or forcibly baptised by the attackers. It's not clear how many Jews were present, but estimates range from 20 to 40 families, and a later account in Hebrew suggests about 150 people were killed on this one night. But anti-Semitism is still a problem across the world today and here in the UK. You can't have failed to have missed headlines about the trouble in the Labour Party about anti-Semitism. One of the original Labour MPs to leave to form the independent group was Luciana Berger. If you look at her biography on the independent group's website, her opening statement is, 
Luciana grew up in Wembley in a close Jewish family. She's obviously very proud of her Jewish heritage. This is what she said after she left the Labour Party. Being Jewish, unfortunately there has been some negative things that have come with that. I have uh, regrettably seen six people convicted of anti-Semitic hate crimes and death threats uh, that I have received. And I feel very strongly that I have a responsibility as a parliamentarian to do everything possible to speak out about that. But there are people who have accused me of having two masters, that have said that I am Tel Aviv's servant, that have called me a paid-up Israeli operative, called me Judas, a Zionazi, an absolute parasite, telling me to get out of this country and to go back to Israel. The most recent figures that have just come out in the last few weeks tell us that, yet again, anti-Semitic incidents in our country are on their increase. We've seen the largest figures since those, as I said, since the numbers were first collected. This is against a backdrop of, particularly in the wake of the EU referendum, an atmosphere which more generally across the public is a lot more toxic, is a lot more um, fringe. I've seen people espouse a lot more racist and discriminatory views, feeling that they've got permission to do so, uh, and anti-Semitism is, is one strain of that. It wasn't an easy decision to lead the Labour Party. As seven Labour MPs walked out of the party they once loved, I cannot remain in a party that I have today come to the sickening conclusion is institutionally anti-Semitic. Well, it would be very easy for me to put my head in the sand and my fingers in the ears and pretend that there wasn't a problem, but that's not what I got into Parliament to do. This can't be the Jewish community's fight alone, and actually any form of racism is wrong, uh, particularly in a party that's supposed to pride itself on those values of equality for all. It can be done, but we've got a, a big job to do to ensure that we are the diverse country that we all want to see. Those were some of the allegations of anti-Semitism. At the Labour Party conference last year, Jeremy Corbyn tried to nip these accusations in the bud. Being anti-racist means we must listen to those communities suffering discrimination and abuse. I believe we're all stronger from listening and learning from each other. The Jewish people have suffered a long and terrible history of persecution and genocide. I was humbled to see that in a memorial two years ago when I visited the former Nazi concentration camp at Terezin in the Czech Republic. The row over anti-Semitism has caused immense hurt and anxiety in the Jewish community and great dismay in the Labour Party. But I hope and believe we can work together to draw a line under it. I say this to all in the Jewish community. This party, this movement, will always be implacable campaigners against anti-Semitism and racism in all its forms. We are your allies. So looking at that, we see it seems as though Jeremy Corbyn is trying to uh, make a conciliatory offer and to say, obviously, we are, we are not anti-Semitic. And let me say a few words about the ongoing denial of justice and rights to the Palestinian people. Our party, our party is united in condemning the shooting of hundreds of unarmed demonstrators in Gaza by Israeli forces and the passing of Israel's discriminatory nation-state law. The continuing occupation, 
the expansion of illegal settlements and the imprisonment of Palestinian children are an outrage. We support... We support a two-state solution to the conflict with a secure Israel and a viable and secure Palestinian state. But a quarter of a century on from the Oslo Accords, we are no closer to justice or peace, and the Palestinian tragedy continues while the outside world stands by. As my great Israeli friend, the late Uri Avnery, who sadly died a short while ago, put it to me, what is the alternative to peace? A catastrophe for both peoples. And in order to help make that two-state settlement a reality, we will recognize a Palestinian state as soon as we take office. The problem that we have is that there we see Jeremy Corbyn trying to have two almost mutually exclusive points of view. On the, on the, one of the main reasons for modern-day anti-Semitism stems back to the formation of the nation of Israel. Now, this regathering of the Jewish people was, again, prophesied in the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we read, And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. When Israel came into being in 1948, many, if not all, of her neighbours didn't want it to happen. In 1967, during the Six-Day War, Israel claimed back more land, including the fertile West Bank, adding to her neighbours' grievance with this new nation. Just last week, we've seen tensions rising again in the Middle East when a missile from Gaza hit an Israeli's home. So Jeremy Corbyn appears to be saying, we acknowledge anti-Semitism is wrong, but we also support your closest and biggest enemy. In reality, it's virtually an impossible position to hold, which is why he's struggling with it in his own party. But what, what does any of this matter? Well, it's proof that the Bible is still relevant today. How many other predictions from 3,000 years ago are making the news on an almost daily basis. God is keeping the promise that he made about the Jewish people and their land, so it gives us confidence that he will keep his other promises. Let's just stick with Israel for a moment. As we've just seen, the Jews' dispersal and regathering were prophesied in the Bible, but so were the events before the return of Jesus. We again know from the Bible that Jesus will return to this earth to set up his Father's kingdom, which will transform this current world of carnage and chaos into one of peace and joy. Jesus will then gather all those followers who have followed his commandments. These commandments are for us to believe in God's promises, to change our ways or repent, to be baptised to represent washing away of our sinful old life and then to try and live a better life with a which is pleasing to God. This second coming is what Christians should be looking for and the prophecy is a good way to gauge where we may be on the timeline of God's purpose. One prophecy which is of particular interest is in Daniel and also in Ezekiel and relates to Israel and her neighbours just prior to this return. In Daniel chapter 11, we read, 
at the time of the end the king of the south sorry at the end at the time of the end the king of the south shall attack him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots horsemen with many ships and he shall enter the countries overwhelm them and pass through he shall also enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown and he shall plant the tents of of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him if we look in ezekiel we start to see another uh, account of a nation invading and we start to have some names associated with it now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your places out of the far north, you and many people with you, and all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me and when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So who are or who is Gog and the kings of the north? Whilst it isn't easy to relate specific modern nations to the ancient nations listed in these prophecies, Many commentators think it seems to be that the Northern Confederacy will be Russia and countries from continental Europe. This is because we know from ancient texts the locations of the list of the countries we just read about in Ezekiel. So we can assume that these probably relate to their modern day equivalents. So for decades, Bible scholars have been keeping a sharp eye on Russia and its intentions towards Israel. 170 years ago, one Christadelphian writer called John Thomas concluded that the King of the North, who we come across in Daniel 11, the Burr that we come across in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 7, and Gog from Ezekiel 40, were all the same. It was Russia, its leaders, and its allies. Now, this isn't an exclusively Christadelphian belief. Many other academics and theologians have come to the same conclusion. John Thomas wrote specifically in reference to the expression the burr. This power is the Russian whose symbol is a burr. This is so well known, the phrase the Russian burr is a familiar household words. Russia, which already comprehends some of the Persian territory in its bounds, is destined to conquer Persia and to possess it from India to Ethiopia, which of course includes all the way through Israel. Now there's a couple of interesting points. 170 years ago, when this was written, Israel didn't even exist. And Russia's borders were over 800 miles away from Jerusalem. So at the time of writing, this interpretation of the prophecy could appear to have been fanciful. But then the 20th century happened. Over the course of the 20th century, we saw Russia morph into the USSR... We saw her borders expand to the south, the east and the west as she became one of the world's superpowers. What we also saw running in parallel was the formation of the nation of Israel and in the late 1960s this nation expanding its territory as I mentioned earlier in the Six Day War.
Then in 1969, there was another significant event. I was born. Now, this doesn't have a great influence on Bible prophecy, but it was important to me at the time. What I want to do now is just demonstrate an important lesson about not trying to make prophecy fit current events. I grew up at the tail end of the Cold War in the 1970s and the 1980s. As a child, I vividly remember the threat of nuclear war with TV programmes such as Threads and When the Wind Blows. At the time, I would hear people saying that the USSR was the king of the north and it was poised to invade Israel and start World War III. In 1979, there was a flurry of excitement when Russia invaded Afghanistan, bringing it closer still to Israel's borders. It really did look like this was the signalling the return of Jesus. However, at the time when Russia invaded Afghanistan, I was more concerned, as a 10-year-old boy, that these actions would mean that Sebco, Steve Over and Duncan Goodhue might miss out on their medals as Britain boycotted the 1980 Summer Olympic Games in Moscow. At that age, I was more interested in the Olympics than in Bible prophecy. However, nine years after this, an even more dramatic event happened. When the Berlin Wall fell in November 1989, it signalled the start of the dismantling of the Soviet Union. And within a few years, Russian borders were back where they were 170 years ago. At this time, I heard some people changing their tune. And as we entered the Gulf War in 1990, saying, well, perhaps the King of the North is Saddam Hussein. It wasn't, because he died in 2006, and he never invaded Israel. The lesson is that God's plan will happen when he wants it to, not when we decide it fits our ideas. I recently heard an analogy that prophecy is like the tide coming in. The waves go out and they come in and they appear to be getting very close to the shore and then they go back out again. And then they come back in and they get a bit closer to the shore and this continues until eventually the waves actually touch the shoreline. So, 30 years on from dismantling, the dismantling of the USSR, we see history repeating and Russia is back on the rise. Over the past few years, the news has been dominated by Russian involvement in the war in Syria. Troops under Russia's influence are now right on Israel's border. In all her history, she has never been so close to Israel. As I said before, we have to be careful that we do not interpret prophecy just to fit current events. But if the King of the North is Russia and her allies, then never in human history has Russia been in a better position to invade Israel. And what's more, some people are happy with Russia's involvement in the Middle East. This next clip was from a review show on New Year's Eve last year. These are all journalists discussing the Middle East situation. They are Janet Daly from the Sunday Telegraph, Abdulbari Atwan, who is an Arab affairs writer, and Michael Goldfarb, who wrote the book The First Rough Draft of History. Just watch this and listen to the contribution, the final comment that Michael Goldfarb makes about uh, Russia and the Middle East.
I can remember doing this program with you when we were both extremely critical when Obama decided that his red lines had been crossed and so what. And he wasn't going to do anything anything about it. And that was considered to be absolutely immoral. And Mm. one of the consequences of it was that he was abandoning the Middle East to Russian influence. This is now a Russian hegemony. That is not a healthy situation. No, surely. You know, it was American uh, there. The American controlled this area for the last 50 years. And what what, what did we have in the Middle East? War in Iraq, war in Libya, war in Syria. And listen listen to me, just one minute. You know what President uh, Trump said? You know, said, you know, when we had Saddam Hussein, when we had Gaddafi, we, we had a stable, more stable Middle That's East. That's what he said at That's the time. That's what he said. At not least, not at, least at the he said time. It. No, no, no. no, no he changes his line just, every five minutes. That I, is not what I he think, said I under think Obama at the time. extraordinary success in the Muslim world, whether it's internally in Chechnya. And, yes. and who can forget that the number three in ISIS was Abu al-Chechenya or something oh, like that. Yes. Oh, yes. Chechen- yes. You know yeah. who I mean. And in Afghanistan. I'm happy as an American citizen. <laughs> to hand the, the Muslim world to Russia and let them take the losses for a bit. Now, admittedly, these, these are just journalists. Um, and what do journalists know? But it's interesting, the fact that somebody would say, just let Russia sort out the Muslim world. American, we're not... We're, 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 you know, take it off our hands. As I say, interesting, interesting days. So finally, let's just look at this expression, as it was in the days of Noah. So this is a prophecy about how the world would be before the return of Jesus. And uh, Jesus himself said it. He said in Matthew, but as in the days as, as in the days of, sorry, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what does that mean? Well, if we look back into Genesis at what the state of the world was like, we read in Genesis chapter 6, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thing, though, is that we can see that it was wicked, but we don't actually know how wicked that was. We don't know if it was better, if it was more wicked or less wicked than today, because we just don't know that. This is literally all, all that we, we, we see. There's no doubt that we are living in a frightening world. This article from last month reveals that knife crime in the UK is at an all-time high. But just as I said before, we shouldn't make current events fit prophecy to satisfy our argument. Because yes, knife crime is at an all-time high in the UK. But if you were to look at the numbers of murders in New York, which 30 years ago was one of the most violent country, cities in the world, it's actually at an all-time low. So we may think the world is getting more violent because in Britain there are certain aspects which are, but we can't make broad generalisations just to fit our our thoughts. We could do the same and say, well, people weren't interested in God. 
some people think think that perhaps this means that the people are not interested in God or doing his will. And again, we could back this up with stories like these. This is from um, 2015 about the fact that we are living in the UK in a secular, a more secular, non-religious society. But then we'd have to balance that up because across the world, Christianity is, is actually quite stable. Yes, it's showing a marked decline in Europe. It's plateauing in America, but it's still strong in the African countries and other developing nations. In the UK, we are at the moment living in arguably more violent, more secular society. But for me, the sentiment that jumps from these verses in Genesis and Matthew is that no one was looking for God's involvement in the world. The flood came as a complete shock. I'm afraid the same can be said for many Christian groups. Many believe in an eternal soul and heaven going after death and play down or sometimes just don't teach resurrection and the second coming. This is from the Catholic Education website and it talks about the importance of the second coming but clearly states there, though not stressed much today, it's not really a principal doctrine that you'll, you'll come across it in Catholicism. And the same goes for Anglicans. This is from an article from the Anglican Journal and the writer states, in many circles of our church, outside the liturgy itself, you don't hear much about the second coming of Christ. In fact, if we carry on reading this, it's quite hard to read because I think he didn't quite know where the space bar was. It says, it is a major article of our faith with the same status as the birth of Christ or the resurrection. To our ancestors in the faith, the proclamation that Christ is coming again was not just a doctrine to believe, it was a source of constant hope and great inspiration. Certainly not everyone has forgotten, but the return of Christ does not favour our preaching and teaching in the way it used to among our ancestors of faith. So the return of Christ is not high on, on, on this group's agendas. They are, not, they, are, they are not particularly looking for it. And yet, Jesus' instruction to watch is repeated in the Gospels many times. And this is exactly what we have been doing today. Looking at the signs of the times so that we will not be caught unaware by the return of Jesus. But the study of prophecy shouldn't be an academic exercise or as an act as an early warning system. It should be a life-enhancing experience. Seeing the fulfilment of prophecy can be a great comfort to us. We can see that God is still in control and whilst we may not fully understand how or why certain things are happening, we know that they are happened for a reason and that soon the world will be transformed. Prophecies also help us to reach out to others, as we've done here today, to demonstrate that the God of the Bible is still relevant in the 21st century. If you've already chosen to follow Christ, then hopefully you'll see that it appears that the day of Jesus' return is imminent. The waves are nearly touching the shore. If you aren't a disciple, then hopefully this talk will have given you something to think about. Because God wants you in his kingdom. The whole idea of God's time frame and his desire for you to be in his kingdom is summarised in our final quote. From Second Peter, he writes, 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.